the final chapter of 2 Timothy uh, perhaps could be described as something that just hurts the heart to read. Uh, the final words of Paul is given to us as he rounds out his letter of encouragement to Timothy uh, really can be stunning as you think about the words that he says of what he's experienced and how he has finished the race. But the reason that Paul is speaking about having faith in difficult times and why he is uh, even describing his own personal circumstances is to help Timothy as well as to help us to be able to have faith in uncertain times and ultimately to be able to finish the race that has been put before us. Uh, we noted last week in Second Timothy chapter 3 that we were told that it is the sacred scriptures that are able to make us wise unto, unto salvation and that it is through the word of God that we are able to be complete, that the man of God then can be fully equipped to do every good work, which would then bring chapter 4 into a very logical conclusion uh, to that idea as Paul writes in Second Timothy 4 and verse 1, where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, so they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of, the, of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. I think it's interesting that in spite of what he has described, and in chapter 3 he has said, it's going to be difficult times in the last days. You are going to have people who are pretenders and putting forward a, a shell of godliness, but ultimately not willing to truly follow God. And so therefore he gives this first charge to Timothy that what it means to finish the race is the need to preach the word. And I think what is more important in the imagery in verse 2 is he uses the phrase to be ready in season and out of season. Now that's not really that terminology that we use too much, but the picture that he is giving here is that we're not going to finish this race well and finish it in a way that God wants us to if we are not completely devoted to the word and teaching the word to others. And I would underscore at all times. I like how some of the other translations use the idea of in season and out of season. The New Revised Standard says to be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. The net also does a good job. Be ready whether it's convenient or not. And I think that's an important picture that's being given here about our role as the people of God and our knowledge of the scriptures and our need to teach others is that there is a picture here that Paul gives that we are not simply teaching others only when it's convenient or only when it's easy, or only when the time is favorable. If Paul and the other apostles only taught 
when it was favorable and convenient, they wouldn't have gotten all the trouble that they got into and they wouldn't have gone through suffering and imprisonment and and difficulties. The point that you have been told to Timothy here is you can't step back when things are inconvenient. You can't kind of go back to the sideline when it's not a favorable time. You have to always be doing this whether it's a favorable time or unfavorable time. Now, connecting that to last week, Paul has said in the last days, it's going to be an unfavorable time. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And sometimes we can look at this and think, well, I will do this work when things get better, when things get easy, when things are more convenient, when when the cultural winds are more positive. That's when I'll, I'll, I'll be out there and I'll do more. But right now, you know, there's a lot of negativity. And so we should then just maybe just dial it back a little bit. And Paul says, no, you need to be doing it and teaching and encouraging and rebuking and correcting with patience through our teaching whether there is pressure or even when there's not. Even when it's easy and easy, even when it's difficult. It is a reminder to us that we can't bend to the culture. We can't bend to other pressures external, whether they be governmental or not. That it is required of us to teach always. Always teaching. Always correcting, rebuking, and encouraging with patience no matter the time. The reason I think this is important is I don't get the sense, nor do I think that Paul would be writing to Timothy as if Timothy had given up on God. I don't think that's the circumstance. But remember in chapter one, Paul said, you know, we can't be ashamed. And you get a sense that things are hard and it's not a favorable time and things have become pretty challenging and the easy temptation. It's not that we're going to give up on God. But we'll just kind of quiet down a little bit. We'll just ease off the teaching and correcting and rebuking and encouraging. We'll just back off a little bit till things get better, till it's a more favorable time, till it's a little more convenient. Then we'll ramp things back up. And I think that's what Timothy may be sitting in in the moment. Is that he hasn't given up on God, but it sure is easy when it's not favorable with our peers or with our culture or with our government to want to just kind of step back and say, okay, I'll take it easy right now. And the picture here that Paul gives is that we can't do that. And notice the motivations why. The first motivation that he presents is in the charge that is given in verse one when he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. But notice he doesn't leave it right there. Notice the explanation. Who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. What's the point? Timothy, you can't shrink back. You can't be ashamed. You need to be persistent and continue to correct and teach and encourage. Even when the time is unfavorable because our Lord is coming back and he's going to judge. You can't step back. When you know that at any moment, at any time, he is appearing as coming. You don't want to be with the one that's stepping back in that moment. He's coming and he's going to judge. And so there is an encouragement that is put forward. Don't shrink back and don't give in because you know that he's going to come. And so 
finish their race, run this race because you know he's coming. And the second reason why is in verse three, when he says that there's a time coming that people are not going to endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths. Notice the other reason that we can't step back when things are inconvenient or when things are are unfavorable. Because he says there's always going to be situations where what people are going to do is they're not going to want to hear what the truth says. But rather they're going to look for people who are going to tell them what they want to hear. That's the idea of itching ears. It is rather than enduring sound doctrine. Isn't it interesting to put it that way? Enduring sound doctrine. God says stuff that's hard. God said things that are hard. And you have to endure those sound teachings because the temptation is when somebody says something that's hard, I'll go find somebody who says something that's easy. (laughs) I'll just listen to the easy stuff. I don't want to hear the hard things. I don't want to be told that I'm not doing right. I don't want to be told how I need to change my life. Just give me a pat on the back. We'll all say, yay, Jesus, high five. We're all going to heaven. We'll all just, you know, have a party about it. Notice he says, that's what people are going to do. And I submit to you that that is one of the prevalent reasons that there are so many churches Because what we do is if you don't like what it says, I'll go find somebody who doesn't say it like that. (laughs) I'll just go somewhere where they don't make me feel bad like that. I don't want to hear those kinds of things. I'll just find somebody who doesn't talk about that. He just talks about the good things. He makes me feel good and all those kinds of things. And Paul is giving that warning is that what people are going to do is just look for people who will agree with them. And friends, we live in a culture right now that is all about that because social media now has engineered our thinking and our hearing to that very thing. We surround ourselves only with voices that are friends. And so whatever they say that is agreeable, we always allow that to enter into our heads. And if it's disagreeable, block. And we all, we do that with God. We just come to God, oh, I don't really like that. I'll block that. And I'll find somebody who will teach me what I want to hear. I'll, I'll listen to those good things instead of the truth. And it's important to see that that's what Paul warns about here is that people are going to do that. And it is just easy for us to do that, that people are going to leave because they would rather hear what matches their present lifestyle. And I'll tell you, it's easy to become a mega church. Just tell everybody what they want to hear. Just keep this closed. Don't read it. We'll talk about it. (laughs) But we won't actually look at what it tells us to do or how to change. We won't read the hard things. We'll just pick the easy things. And we'll rah-rah about it. Well, then you can get all kinds of people who will be very favorable to God as long as you tell them they can keep doing whatever they want to do. And I hope that we will see that we would not be surprised that Paul said that's exactly what's going to happen. That what people are going to do is they're not going to endure sound teaching. That rather they are going to look for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. 
rather than listen to what the truth is. I find it fascinating that the way Paul describes this in verse 4, he says there that rather than listening to the truth, they wander off into myths. Now, don't read myths as if they're going, you know, they were followers of God and they decided to go to Greek mythology instead. Notice the framework is anything that's not the truth of God's word, Paul calls that a myth. It's not real. They're going around saying things that sound very spiritual, sound very religious, sound very godly, but it's a myth. It's a false teaching. It's not real. It's just nothing. And so he just puts it in the category that it really is. It's a myth. It's not for real. It's not the truth of God's word. And people are going to ultimately seek that. And so he gives that warning and says, that's why we have to be persistent. I think that's what is such an interesting picture that is given to us is that this is the solution that is provided for us in these last days is that we need more of God's word, not less. That's what he's saying. Whether it's convenient or inconvenient, favorable or unfavorable, what we need more of in this time is more of God's word. But here's the temptation. The temptation is that when people do not endure the sound teaching and they want to find those who will itch their ears and please their own desires, there can be the desire on our part to want to give in to that. And so, well, maybe we'll, you know, if we provide coffee and donuts, we'll get more people here. If we just had some more entertainment, if we, you know, shot some fireworks from behind the baptistry or if we, you know, do some kind of thing like that. You know, then we'll get people in here if we could just, you know, have a great meal or something like that. We start trying to itch those ears rather than staying on point with we need more of the word of God. The more people try to find the teachers that fit their lifestyle, the more we have to stay firm on the course. And that's what he's warning Timothy. It's going to be a temptation to shift our focus to meet their needs rather than paying attention to what they need, which is the word of God. And I want us to consider that, you know, Jesus had that problem. Jesus fought that very problem that over and over again. Jesus will challenge people who appear to be following him and tell them that they can't. It's always a stunning thing to see. I look forward to us being able to do that on our Sunday morning series over this next year as we look at the life of Jesus is how often you will have great crowds coming to him and he will say something to thin the herd out. He will do something intentionally to make sure that they don't follow him just because They have itching ears. One great example of this is in John chapter 6 and verse 26. The lead up into it that happened earlier in John 6 was that you have in John's account the feeding of the 5,000. And then that night he goes across the Sea of Galilee and is on the other side. The crowds get up in the morning. They start looking for Jesus where he was yesterday, where they had been fed the food. They don't find him and they go trekking all the way to the other side to look for him. Here's Jesus' answer when they come to him after seeking him that great distance. He says, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Really interesting Jesus does. He doesn't say, you know, I'm so glad you devoted yourself to follow, to try to find me for miles away. 
You know, I went to the other side of the sea and you went into all the effort. and You spent your whole day trying to find me. Kudos for you for trying to find me. He zeroes right into their motivation and says, you came here for all the wrong reasons. You didn't come here because the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 identified me as the son of God to you and you came to worship me. No, you came for breakfast. You came for another meal. It's not because the sign kicked in, but you ate the loaves and were filled and you wanted another one. And he wouldn't do it for him. You go read that text. He doesn't feed him. He doesn't perform another miracle. He just goes, you're here for the wrong reason. I think that is such an important picture that even Jesus was dealing with at that time. And here Paul is writing to Timothy and saying the same thing, that it's not about itching or scratching the ears of people so that they get what they are looking for, but to teach the word, teach it, teach it, teach it. And that's why Paul's solution in verse five, where he just simply tells him, you need to exercise verse five, self-control. Endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You need to keep teaching, keep teaching, keep teaching. That has been the goal of this congregation. It's been the goal of everything I do is try to be, here's the word, here's the word, here's the word. No distraction, here's the word. And that's what God is telling us to do is in these last days when people are looking for anything to Say, oh, well, I'm getting my desires fulfilled. Well, let's go to what the word of God says. Let's see what God has to say and do that work. That must be our focus. So that's the first picture Paul gives in chapter four. To finish the race is a dedication to the word, a knowledge of the word and a teaching of the word to those around us. Second picture, you'll notice in verse six, he now talks about being ready. Verse six. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul just now starts winding down, and what a picture. In short, Paul says, I'm ready. In verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I've gone through the suffering. I'm going through the difficulty. Remember, he's in prison. We believe it's his imprisonment for the last time. He is not going to survive this. He seems to even understand that as he writes these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He seems to look at it as his time is imminent. His time is done. And now to be able to say those words. And I want you to think about that. Paul is able to look back over the sum of his life. And to be able to say to Timothy. And to say before God with satisfaction. I have fought the good fight. And to be able to look at his life and say, I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And notice why it matters in verse eight. Because there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. 
If we're going to enjoy the crown of righteousness, then he says, I have to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I love how Paul words this. He says, and that's not only for me, but all who have loved his appearing, verse 8. All that have loved his appearing. This is the same to you. Paul's not just talking about himself, but the same promise to you. If you will run this race and fight the good fight and finish that course and keep the faith throughout it all, then that promise is also laid up for you. And I think this is so important because when you think about the words of verse 7, do those words not all conjure up the need for endurance? He doesn't say, I have swung in the hammock, I have laid on the couch, I have, you know, sat in the chair. (laughs) He's using imagery of endurance. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. All three of those are images of endurance. All images of going through hardship and difficulty and continuing to press so that he's able to say those words. He has fought the good fight. He didn't walk out. He didn't quit. He didn't leave. He didn't stop fighting Satan. Stop fighting temptation. Stop fighting sin. He kept on fighting. He finished the race. When things got hard, he didn't sit down and quit and go, you know, this race is really hard. This thing is really tough. I got stoned and left for dead. I think I'm done. I'm going to go ahead and just relax now. I think I'm going to mail it in. I've given all I'm going to give. He didn't stop the race. He kept on and kept on and kept on. He kept the faith in all of the difficulties, in all of the pain. We're going to look at from verse 9 all the way to the end of this letter. He's going to recount a lot of pain. And in all of that pain, in all of the hardship, In all of the loss, he kept his faith in God. And I just want that to be the essence of the lesson as we go forward that you would think about. Are we able to say right here, right now, if God were to come now, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. What an amazing place to be at with God. For Paul to be able to say, however this all plays out, I'm ready. I am ready for his appearing. I am ready for my life to be given to him. I have finished that race and I have kept the faith. Second picture, running the race and finishing the race is about being ready. Number three, verse nine. Do your best to come soon. For Demas... In love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, uh, I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. This starts to become a very heartbreaking end to a letter. And I want you to think about Paul doing this for a minute. Because this letter could have ended at verse 8. And what a powerful high of a letter it would have ended. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I know I have a crown of righteousness laid up for me and not only for me, but all who have loved his appearing and then just say greetings to you all ready to go. But he is now going to get very personal about his life. And rather than leaving this letter on this high note of victory and running a race and being ready for the Lord's appearing, he's now going to talk about these final experiences and the suffering and hardship he's gone through as a way of encouragement to Timothy and to us. First, you'll notice in verses 9 through 13, he just simply describes being alone. He's just alone. He just simply writes it. Everybody's left me except Luke. Everybody's gone. Some of those appear to be for good reasons, like Titus, who seems to be sent. Tychicus has also uh, been sent to Ephesus. But there is one that is noted there in verse 10 when he says, but Demas isn't with me anymore. And that wasn't supposed to be. He wasn't sent on a journey to go teach in another city. Listen to the words of verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, his name is mentioned in Philemon at the very end of Philemon 24, where he is described as a fellow worker of Paul. So this is not just some name. This is somebody who has worked with Paul side by side. And here now he writes to Timothy and says, I need you to know something. Everybody's gone. And one of the people that I was depending upon the most, Demas, to be able to stay with me through all this, instead has loved this present world and has deserted me. We're not told what he deserted for. Did loving this present world mean that he was going to protect his life or protect his health? He's seen what Paul has gone through. Does loving this life mean that he wanted to go to Thessalonica and fulfill his fleshly desires and that's why he walked away? Maybe loving the present world meant the hardships just got to be too much and he wasn't going to deal with these hardships anymore and that's why he left. We're not told the exact issue of what he loved in this present world. It's just left very broadly. That he simply had the pressure of this world that finally broke him. The pressure of this world finally broke him. And he loved this world and he could not give it up. It is an important warning that Paul is giving to Timothy that we cannot finish the race if we love this world. It is not possible for us to finish this race. We will not keep the faith. We will not have fought the good fight. We will not finish it if our heart is here. If our heart is here. And that's the very warning that you see the Apostle John giving when he gives this warning. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Would you let that settle in? Easy line to run right past. If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in them. Demas has loved this world. And when we love this world, eventually Satan is going to find your weakness and break you. He will eventually break you. 
You love this world instead of God. You put your priority in this world instead of God. Satan will find that weakness. He will put the pressure on you and you'll break. And that's what happened to Demas. Demas, who in pages earlier of Holy Scripture, described as a fellow worker with Paul, has deserted him. Satan got him. And the reason was that he loved this present world. I think it is so important that we understand that we will fail if we allow the love of this world to penetrate into our lives, into our heart, into our desires. We are going to have the same outcome. We will fail. And Paul is writing this to say, don't fail. I don't think this, these letters with, or the end of this letter with all of these names is intended to be the wall of shame for people, but to be an encouragement. Look at what happened to Demas. He was with me side by side. He's a fellow worker and he fell off. He loved this present world and deserted me. It can happen to anybody. The pressure that Satan will put on you to give up and to give into the world is so strong. And Paul is writing to Timothy and said, don't be like Demas. I want you to finish the race. Don't give up. And here is Paul saying, you might be even alone. You are going to have people desert you, forsake you, give up on you, walk away from you. And Paul is still able to say, I still fought the good fight. I finished the race, even though nobody's with me anymore except Luke. He's got this litany of names of all the people who are around him. He goes, you know, they're all gone. Only Luke remains. And you can tell he needs encouragement right now. Because he says in verse 11, you need to bring Mark with you. I need him too. And he tells him in verse 13, bring my cloak, get the books, get the parchments. I need some things right now. It's hard for Paul. And yet he is staying faithful. And so number three, even when we are alone, We must finish the race. We cannot fail to serve God. Number four, notice verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Fourth thing Paul says, While you try to run the race and you try to endure and you try to keep the faith, people are going to hurt you. How interesting that he is able to say, and just think of the words, Alexander harmed me greatly. Not told what he did. We're given an indication that he opposed our message strongly. But whatever Alexander did was pretty severe. And he just tells Timothy, Alexander hurt me bad. A devastating act, whatever he did, whatever that looked like. And I want us to see, remember that that was what Paul warned about. Remember, that was a characteristic of those in the last days. Those first nine verses where he's describing there's going to be people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, seeming to have godliness, but they're not really true. And you are going to find that out when the pressure's put on. And so here is a picture of Alexander who says, he has harmed me greatly. The Lord will deal with that, though the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. But friends, we're going to get hurt. We have an idiom in our culture. 
the knife in the back or getting run over by the bus. That's going to happen a lot. You're going to have a lot of knives in your back. You're going to get hit over and over and over again. And I want you to see Paul is saying, it even happened to me. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Even when those who seem to be your fellow brethren, fellow believers, harm you, harm you greatly, harm you severely, oppose you and oppose your message, don't give up. Finish that race. Keep the faith. And finally, then, number five, verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Did you just let those words sink in? Here he is on trial, on trial for the gospel. He hasn't done something wrong. It's not like he's a criminal. He's on trial for the gospel. And he says, when that trial came around, they all left. Nobody stood beside him. Nobody helped him. Nobody was with him. I I don't know how to express how painful that must have been. Just when you needed somebody the most to stand beside you, you were left all by yourself. Everyone leaves him in his darkest time. You might remember that is similar to the master. As Jesus in his darkest time, everyone forsakes him and runs. You are going to be deserted. You are going to have people leave you when you need them the most. The people you thought you could depend upon. Maybe the very ones who turn their back on you, especially under a governmental pressure that you see happening here. But please notice the rest of verse 16. May it not be charged against them. Unbelievable. What kind of faith to be able to say, they wronged me. They hurt me. They deserted me. They left me when I needed them the most. But don't let that be held against them. Don't let that be held against them. That I have been wronged, but I want them to be forgiven. I don't want that to be on their account, even though they've wronged me. What a beautiful picture of what it looks like to run the race and to be able to keep the faith. So how did Paul endure? If you are left all by yourself, And you have nobody to help you, nobody at your defense, nobody to support you. It seems like everybody is abandoning you or hurting you. Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love the picture that's given here where he says, everybody's left me. But then he says, but the Lord stood by me. 
Now think about that for a minute. Obviously not in some physical form was there God going here. I'll stand by you. I know everybody left you, but I'll be right there. He didn't have anybody to see, but he knew it. He knew that the Lord stood by him. He knew that even though he was alone, hurt, deserted, and wounded by these people, he knew one thing. God had not left him. He knew that God would stay with him. And he says, that's what God did. Verse 17, he stood by me and strengthened me. He helped me through this. In fact, did you like the image there at the end of verse 17? So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Who is he relating to? He sounds like Daniel. In my darkest time, when it looked like all hope was gone, God rescued me. God was with me. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. But notice what he says after that. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. He has helped me then and he will help me again. He stood by me in that moment. He'll stand by me again. It doesn't matter if everybody leaves me, everybody hurts me, everybody wounds me, everybody sticks a knife in me. I will stay with him because he will stay with me. Amazing faith is given. And this is the picture that he is giving is that the Lord will stay with you and help you and strengthen you and get you through your darkest time if you will stay with him. If you will run the race, fight the good fight and keep the faith, God is going to stay with you. He made a promise that he would and he never goes back on his word. The problem is we often walk away from him. When God is there to rescue us, we give up. Paul says, I didn't give up. Everybody left me. No one was there for my defense. But the Lord stood by me. He strengthened me. And friends, that's all we need. Everybody will let you down. We're human. We will. I will let you down. I will fail you over and over again. There's only one person who will not. The Lord will. He will always stand by you. He will be there to strengthen you. And so that is the hope. How are you going to finish this race? Are you going to finish like Paul? Paul was abandoned. He was alone. He had no one to support him. He had great harm done to him. And you probably can relate to some of that. Alone, abandoned, no one to support, no one to help, great harm done. And he says, but I know God's still with me. And he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Please do not let what others do to you keep you from finishing the race. Do not let the hurts and the failures of others to keep you from fighting the good fight, to keep you from enjoying the crown of righteousness that is promised to all who love his appearing. Don't let what others have done to you be the reason for you to fall short of the goal that God has given to you. And I love that Paul brings all of this in 
Because we read Paul and we think, man, that guy's like a hero. He's like like Superman. He's impervious. Nothing, nothing sticks to him. He's just, whew, he does it all. And Paul just writes this and goes, man, I'm hurt. I'm alone. I've been forsaken. I've been opposed. But God's with me. So keep fighting the fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it can be when we feel alone and we feel hurt and neglected, opposed, betrayed, that we can feel like you are not with us. And Lord, we are tempted in those times to let go of you and to let go of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would always strengthen us in those moments. And Lord, I pray that we would always look to you in those times. And help us to see the importance of your word as the endurance we need to get through those difficulties. Help us to see that you have never left us and you have never forsaken us. Help us to see that you were always there to support us and to push us forward. And Lord, I pray that we would never have itching ears, but rather we would always want to hear the direct truth of what you have to say to us. And Lord, the things that you say are hard. They are challenging and they cause us to need to endure and to look at ourselves in a very raw and honest way sometimes. But Lord, I pray that we could have a faith like Paul. So when our time is done, we would be able to say the very same words. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Lord, we look forward to your appearing. We look forward to the promise of the crown of righteousness. And we pray for strength to remain faithful to you no matter what happens, no matter the difficulty, no matter the trial, no matter the loss, no matter the pain. Give us the strength and give us the knowledge that you are with us through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Powerful message that Paul gives from a prison cell as he stares at death in the face and encourages us to continue running with him. We help you in any way to turn to Jesus tonight, to turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to follow him faithfully with all of your heart and to continue faithfully. These are just the starting points. The biggest thing then going forward is to stay with him through thick and thin, to hold on to the word and teach the word when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, when it's favorable, and when it's not. Can we help you? Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?